Hi, this is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts really could not continue without your prayers and support. Between now and December 31st, please consider making a year-end tax-deductible gift to Discerning Hearts. We are a 501c3 not-for-profit organization. Your donation is fully tax-deductible to the extent permitted by law. Click the Donate button on DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue producing the type of spiritual formation programming you have come to expect from us, like those from Archbishop George Lucas, Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, and so many more. Please prayerfully consider supporting our mission, which is dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. Thank you, and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to be joined once again by Joe Paparaki, who has served as National Consultant for Faith Formation at Loyola Press. Joe, who has over 40 years of experience in pastoral ministry, has authored over 20 books on catechesis and pastoral ministry, and has presented in over 150 dioceses in North America. He received his Master's of Pastoral Studies from the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University of Chicago and has his Doctor of Ministry from the University of St. Mary of the Lake, located at Mundelein Seminary. With Joe Paparaki, we go inside the pages of Eight Steps to Energize Your Faith, published by Loyola Press. We now continue with part two of our conversation. Part of that, that enrichment of our life, we're not meant to be alone. Even our Lord was born into a family, and relationships are so important. I mean, he sent us out two by two, didn't he? I mean, to go out, he he did that with his disciples. He wants us to be in relationship, not only with him, but with all those around us, doesn't he? He certainly does, And, and I emphasize in that chapter why this is so for us, because again, we're made in the image and likeness of God. And in our Christian tradition, the God in whose image we're made is Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God's very essence is relational. God is community. And and so we're made in that divine image. We And so we reflect the divine image when we are relational. Now, you know, for this was not an easy chapter for me to write because I'm an introvert, as many folks are. That doesn't mean that we always want to be alone. It, it just means that there's a, you know, we, we find some energy and getting re-energized sometimes when we, we pull back. But I tell you, the pandemic experience showed me how much I need people. I mean, mm-hmm. as much as I enjoyed being able to work from home every day, just the fact that I was not interacting with uh, with any other people, you know, my wife and I were in this tiny little bubble, it was not healthy. I knew it was not healthy. I, I and so, you know, we had to continually find ways of breaking out of that bubble without endangering myself uh, and, and our health. We need other people. We need relationships as, as difficult as they can be. And I know when we're hurt in a relationship, our reaction is never again, never again. And I understand that. But 
we all know that before long we're seeking relationships again because we're meant to to be in relationship with others and it is a life-giving thing and it is a reflection of our trinitarian god an important part of this book i think i ended up after every chapter going into my own bible and and highlighting underlining the passage of scriptures that you give us because it helps me to remember make the connection to the chapter in the book so i'm so glad that scripture is really an important part of the work you're doing here isn't it it certainly is um scripture has has always been a treasured gift for me and for all all of god's people and it was important for me in this book to make that connection once again between um these suggestions that i'm giving and scripture so that people don't you know think i'm just you know pulling this out of my ear or something it's like hey here's an idea do this you know these are are grounded in scripture and they're grounded in our doctrine but sometimes we lose sight of that and sometimes the doctrine and tradition will almost take on too much prominence and we forget <laughs> what the heart of it is mm-hmm. and so i kind of flipped it over on its head and said let's just talk about the heart of it and then remind people oh and then by the way you know the story of elijah uh the story of uh, the uh, exodus uh, whatever the story is you know you might want to look at that because that's where this idea comes from and so it's a reminder that you know these are are all part of God's revelation to us, God's revealed word in Scripture. As we talked about earlier, the commandments to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, but it's also we have to love our neighbor. And I think in that particular section, would to show compassion. We need that so much today, Joe. And that difference that you make, because I think we fall in the trap, of saying, well, I feel empathy, but we may not even know the difference. We think what is compassion is actually empathy, and compassion is so much more. It is. uh, Empathy is the first step uh, towards compassion. The thing about empathy, so feeling another person's pain, that can be done from a distance, and, and you can maintain that distance and say, yeah, I really feel for that person. Compassion is being moved to action, and so it begins with empathy. I feel that person's pain, compassion is, so what am I going to do about it? How am I going to act? And again, this is the essence of who God is. God doesn't just sit up in heaven and say, oh, those poor Jewish people down there in Egypt. He, mm-hmm. he says that that he was moved with pity. You know, that word move, and he, he's, he goes into action. Jesus often in in the Gospels, says he was moved with compassion, and then he acted. So again, Jesus didn't just, you know, sit there talking with his disciples and say, you know, I really feel bad for a lot of these folks, you know, the blind and lame and so on. And he was moved to action. And our tradition teaches this. I mean, we're taught the, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy from the time we're very young. 
But again, sometimes that, that can almost seem like, well, it's just a list of things I'm supposed to memorize, that these are you know good things to do if I have the time. No, this, this is telling us what's at the heart of loving God. God says, if you want to show your love for me, show your love for your neighbor. And it was important to me in this section to, to help, especially parents, young parents, I think of, recognize how they are showing compassion every day just by raising their children. And I think too often we make young parents feel, and I know a lot of them feel this way, I don't have enough time for this church stuff, for this you know God stuff. I know I got a family to raise and a job and so on. We've got to help parents recognize that that is precisely how they are living out this call to to love neighbor it begins in the home. You don't have to go to a, a place like Calcutta, as Mother Teresa was, to, to parents feed the hungry under their own roof. Every day they clothe the naked. Uh, they shelter the homeless. Uh, that's what they're doing for their children. It's what we do for our aging parents that we're caring for. Uh, so, you know, again, let, let's help people to recognize that the the parts of our tradition that, that we're holding up are not exotic. They are everyday things. And so I, I even have a list in that chapter of everyday compassionate actions. And it, it was actually a list that got too long. It's like, like a page and a half. I had to keep cutting it down. <laughs> yeah. When was the last time you let somebody go in front of you? in the supermarket yeah. line that had fewer items than you say, right. go ahead. I mean, isn't it always wonderful when I yeah. see somebody do that or then it exactly. kind of inspires you? I'm, I know this seems like a little thing, but it, it's actually a very important part of that snowball that stops, starts at the top of that hill and it just gets bigger and bigger if you yeah. do with that initial push. It's a mindset, you know, and, and so if we ignore that maybe small little urge to say, oh, I should let this person go first. If we ignore that, it sort of stops the snowball. <laughs> and so that's it, yep. just leave it. But if we say to another person, yeah, go ahead, it begins a snowball of compassion and it just you know helps us to realize, yeah, why does it always have to be about me? And you know, we just, we recognize that that's really the heart of of the spiritual life and discipleship. Jesus said, greater love has no person than to lay down their life for another. It doesn't mean to physically die. That's the ultimate example. But every day, how can we lay down our life, meaning put our life aside and someone else's life first before our own? And that can be as small as inviting someone to step in front of us in line at the supermarket. What really kind of touched me in that make repairs, because I am not a DYI person. I like to watch the shows. I really enjoy yeah. watching those programs, thinking maybe I could do it, but then I've tried a couple of those and it just doesn't work like it, you think it would during the commercial break. Yeah. You don't have those commercial breaks here. But getting into that mindset of making a repair. I'm a Benedictine oblate, Joe, so I, I get a lot of Benedictine references. But I know a monk that told me once that they don't throw anything away unless they absolutely, absolutely have to. Yeah. They continue to restore and repair because it's a part of our practice in our own life. We're such a disposable nation. 
a chair breaks, boink, there it goes, the chair is gone, instead of trying to figure out how I can fix it. Yeah, you're you're making me wonder whether my mother was a Benedictine oblate then, because she <laughs> had the same mindset that she never threw anything away. She would always say, oh, no, this is still good. I can fix it. My mother repaired, she liked to sew things, and she repaired the... Um, uh, the bag on my lawnmower when I told her it had a hole in it. <laughs> she said, oh, I can fix that. <laughs> mm-hmm. She got her sewing kit out, and sure enough, she's, she patched that up. I say in the book, and, and I mean this only half facetiously, that God really only does two things, but he does them very well. He creates and he restores. And, and if you really think about it, pretty much any story in Scripture, God is either creating or restoring or doing both. And, and so this whole chapter on repairing things, you know, I, I'm not suggesting that we all have to go out and become, you know, a home improvement, you know, person. I, I'm using that as a model for we love when things get fixed, whether we do it ourselves or we watch someone else. It is pleasing to watch something get repaired because it seems to reestablish order in the universe. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is the way things are supposed to be. My toilet is supposed to flush when I press this handle. And if oh, we yeah. can't fix it, the plumber can, and all is well, all's right with the world. And that's a metaphor for what God does for us. He, he created us, and then he, he spends all of his time restoring us because we keep on breaking. And um, so how do we do that? How do we uh, fix things? And how do we fix areas of our lives? How do we fix relationships? How, how do we repair the world when the world is broken? And in so many ways, God wants to repair it. And so, you know, how do we do that? So, yeah, it's uh, I'm kind of like you, Chris. I'm not a big fixer-upper. I, I like to think that I am, but I'm really not. But I, I take great pleasure in standing back when something is fixed and saying, ah, that's the way it's supposed to be. We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. A prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us. 
listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Inside the Pages. We're talking with Joe Paparaki about his book, Eight Steps to Energize Your Faith. Well, that's part of this energizing your faith is that when you begin to to look at things and just entering in, whether it's repairing a broken watch or that can still be used and it's still lovely, it just needs a little help, you know, whatever that might be. It's a way of going even deeper, like you said, is connecting with that desire to restore. And that's, you make this beautiful connection to the works of mercy, that when you're feeding somebody who's hungry, you're restoring that person. When you're giving them something to drink, you're bringing them to their bodies, the the nutrition, the, the hydration that it was made to have the sheltering somebody who's homeless. I mean, the list goes on and on. When we enter into those works of mercy, that we're participating in some ways, aren't we, with what yeah. God is trying to do for that individual who needs that help. Precisely. And I, and I think this is why we get so spiritually drained, because there are so many things that are broken in our world. And you know, it can be very hard. In fact, it's not healthy to watch the 24-hour news cycle. It's one of the worst things that has happened to our spiritual lives is the introduction of the 24-hour news cycle because they are continually showing us how everything is broken in our world. And and it's overwhelming and we just, we lose hope. We fall into despair. And so, you know, how do we get out of this? Well, the way God does by trying to repair things. And sometimes, I shouldn't say sometimes, I think always that begins with small steps. You know, maybe I can't save the whole world from whatever problem I can identify, but can I intervene in someone's life and, you know, offer something that will restore that person's health, mind, body, and spirit, their dignity, their well-being, and then can I also participate in efforts to, to change our world? Social justice is a big part of our gospel. And it, it is not a, an ideology. It is what God wants. God wants his world to reflect his kingdom. And so if the world does not reflect God's values and God's kingdom, then we need to advocate for that on a, a more global level. So Yeah, it's a very important part of our entire spiritual life is the notion of of repair. I love chapter 7, the share generously and selflessly. I love, love, love it. Again, going back to our original conversation in speaking about Genesis in the very beginning, here is the creator. He creates, and then he gives, gives, gives. He Even to the point of giving his son, ultimately, because of his great generosity and his love for us. Yes, there are people that have tremendous means, and many of them give in that abundance to others and how grateful so many are and how charities are are grateful for that activity. But as you point out, you don't have to be rich to be generous. Exactly. And, you know, I I have some fun in this chapter with a couple of scripture stories, in particular the uh, story of the wedding at Cana. That story, talk about generosity. First of Mm -hmm. all, the fact that Jesus took the time to generously perform this miracle, 
But then the amount of wine that he created, the, the story interestingly tells us how many canisters there were, six of them, and how many gallons they each held. And so I do a little math there in, in the book. But the bottom line is he created so much wine, more wine than could ever, ever be used at a single wedding. It's a story of the abundance of God's graces. The other story I mentioned is the feeding of the 5,000. The story ends by talking about all the leftovers. There were 12 baskets. Now, that may not sound like a whole lot, but 12 in Jewish Hebrew tradition is a number that represents fullness. You know, 12 apostles, 12 tribes, and so on. Uh, So 12 baskets means there was an abundance left over. And so it's reminding us that we live in a world that has a scarcity mentality, you know, you think of uh, Black Friday ads, you know, you better get there for the door busters because it'll be gone. And we fall prey to Let's that. talk about uh, toilet paper during COVID, shall we? <laughs> Do we have to remember oh, that? Could people don't stop? we all remember doing that, yeah. you know, running to, to get it before it was out because there won't be enough. Now, that does happen sometimes, but overall, that ploy is used to make us, you know, buy things. And we tend to carry that into a lot of our lives, a scarcity mentality. When divine energy is the reverse, divine energy is abundance, an abundance mentality that there's always enough, there's enough to go around. And, and that's the nature of stewardship. It's saying, okay, I've been given quite a bit here and I don't own it. I'm a steward of it. So what can I share? And, and how can I share this with others? Because it wasn't meant just for me. So it's a hard concept to teach in a society, especially in uh, the Western hemisphere of, you know, individualism and private ownership and consumerism and, and so on. It's a tough nut to crack, but it is perhaps one of the reasons why we are one of the wealthiest countries in the world and yet at the same time, the unhappiest. Uh, and then you can travel to portions of the world that have the greatest poverty and still the people have great joy among them. And that says something. Oh my gosh, isn't that true? It's usually you go off in mission work, at least it's been my experience down in Central America, and you think you're going to do all this stuff for them and that you're bringing them all this stuff, including me, my stuff. And what happens is they give so much more back that it almost crushes you in the realization that, wow, I got so much more back from them. And they, they didn't give me any stuff to take. They gave me themselves, <laughs> their presence. I like that. They didn't give me stuff. We're so into stuff here that stuff is going to make you happy. Every time I've talked to someone who has done missionary work in a an impoverished area. That's exactly what they say. They're like, Joe, I've never seen such poverty. And yet the people live lives of such simple joy. And, you know, not to to say that they don't have hardships and, you know, shed tears when they can't put food on the table, but just the deep down gladness they have to be alive is something that the stuff we own and think makes us happy gets in the way of. In, in our culture. So yeah, it really is, can make your, your head spin when you just stop and think about that. You 
bring forward many examples. Yes, of course, if you have the, the means, if you have financial means to be able to help others, that's important. But you talk about things, uh, not only possessions, but uh, time, volunteering, hospitality, even life, giving blood, whatever it is, listening. One thing I just have to bring out a group of people you had under here, knowledge, helping others to learn and acquire knowledge and skills. I think one of the most generous actions is the mom or the mom, dad, or who give their time being a catechist in a parish to be able to step up and maybe be outside. This is giving even more back. You might be a little nervous, but you're giving in this generosity to try to pass on the faith to others. And you know Loyola Press, I mean, helping to service parishes and catechists for years, and that's an act right there, an act of compassion. It certainly is. Uh, Catechists are my heroes. I've dedicated my entire career to supporting catechists because of that generosity. It is absolutely heroic what catechists do, because I always, it's funny when I talk to catechists and I tell them to share their story, they often say, oh, I don't, I don't have a story. I said, well, why don't you start with why you're a catechist? That's a story. How did you become a catechist? You, you could be at home watching Monday night football, but you're here teaching, you know, children or teens or adults. They're like, oh, yeah, well, that's an interesting story. And then they start talking about how that happened. I'm like, yep, see, you do have a story. But it all comes down to that generosity. And I think generosity of time is one of the most important things. I mean, Chris, you and I and everyone listening can stop and think about the best teacher they ever had and and a teacher who impacted us and our lives. It's going to be someone who gave us the time of day, someone who went out of their way to give us time and attention. What an impact that has. And so when an adult especially gives a young person the time of day, a child is going to remember that. It means so much to them. I know from my experience with my grandchildren, they call me Bumpa, B-U-M-P-A, Bumpa. You know, when I'm with them, what do I hear? Bumpa, look, Bumpa, come here, Bumpa. They just want the time of day. So all I do is I sit there and I look and I go, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Show me the, show me that. And that's what they want. They want, the, and that's a blessing. We uh, have a blessing in scripture, Ray, you know, God's face smile upon you. That's all that young people want. They want their parents, their their grandparents to smile on them. That's a blessing. That's giving someone the time of day. And so that's generosity. It's not just a money thing. Time, talent, and treasure all together. I wish we had more time. I, I, this this last step is so important. Now, I want you to run out and get eight steps to energize your faith, and then I want you to be still, okay? <laughs> be still. You say it, and I just went, yes, I'm so glad he did, when you said, have you ever come across a spiritual tradition that has not involved stillness as a means to well-being? You got to slow it down and you got to, you got to listen. Definitely. And again, that's living in God's image. You know, when Moses asked God, who are you? He was really asking God, what do you do? Because remember back then Mm -hmm. people believed in many gods, you know, so you must be the God of thunder or lightning or rain or the rivers, the lakes, the ocean. So what what do you do? And how did God answer? I am. He didn't say, here's what I do. He didn't say, my name is I do. He said, my name is I am. He, he exists. 
And we are called, you know, God created human beings, not human doings. So it's, a, <laughs> it's important that. that we we do things because, you know, like I said, we have to put into action that love and compassion for others. But then we also have to sit back and just be and just reflect and ponder. You can't ponder unless you're still. We talked about pondering. You know, it really, we have to take a few moments and just still ourselves and ponder. And that's living in the divine image, replenishing who we are. And and so that's, you know, why people go on a retreat or have days of renewal. They all involve pausing somehow and, and being still. And that's why we have a Sunday day of obligation, a day of rest. It's a commandment. God is saying, Take a day off. That, that's a, not a too shabby of a commandment. You know, if my boss came in here and said, Joe, I want you to take an extra day off every week, I wouldn't say, who are you to be giving me commands? <laughs> I'd say, mm-hmm. okay. And this is what God does. God says, take a day off every week. You need to. You have to. And in the story of Genesis, God even takes that day off to model that for us. So it's, it's a crucial spiritual act to be still. I can't get enough of listening to you, Joe. I just can't because, I mean, you helped energize my faith. I know you're going to help energize all of their faith, especially when they enter into Eight Steps to Energize Your Faith, the wonderful book that has been put out by you and Loyola Press. I wish we had more time. I don't feel bad because I know that the listener is going to be able to get more time by, by accessing your work. But any final thoughts, at least in this aspect of our conversation? Thank you, Chris, for all your, your kind words. I, I think the, the final thought that I would offer is one of the greatest compliments I've received from people who have read the book is they tell me what they're doing differently. That just, you know, really blows my mind. I've had people say, Joe, I, I started taking a class in uh, painting at the retirement home that I live in because I want to be more creative. <laughs> and, you know, someone else said, Joe, I, I, I read that uh, chapter about relationships and, and so on. And I realized, my gosh, I've been friends with this one person for 40 years. It's our 40th anniversary of our friendship. So I sent her some flowers. And so people have been telling me what they're doing in that to me is the greatest compliment, that if something that I can write can help people to do something, to be something different and to do something different, then I've served my purpose uh, of writing a book. So I share that with people. I hope that as you read the book, it will, uh, the Holy Spirit will move you to, to do something that is more life-giving for yourself and for others. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you, Chris. With Joe Paparaki, we've gone inside the pages of Eight Steps to Energize Your Faith. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to LoyolaPress.com, the website for its publisher, Loyola Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com or you can find it within the Discerning Hearts free app or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely for souls around the world. 
And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, Insights from Today's Most Compelling Authors.